The Energy is Love podcast. You just push play and that's what you're listening to. In case you were wondering, I'm just reminding you. I've been doing the podcast for well over a year now. We're coming up on, it'll be two years in June or something like that. I don't remember. When I started the podcast, I was completely new to the whole experience. I've learned a lot about podcasting, also a lot about myself. And I've evolved and I've grown and I've changed. And you've probably, if you're a longtime listener and fan of the podcast, you've realized that the podcast has evolved and changed and grown. And I think that's okay. I think that's a cool thing. So we're just going to keep going. We're just going to keep evolving. And at the end of the day, I reach out and connect with people that I really just want to talk to. And hopefully you guys enjoy that. Hopefully you guys uh, benefit from the conversations that we have. And as always, you know where you can listen iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play. Uh, I think we're going to get up on Spotify. So if you're a Spotify user, you can listen there. iHeartRadio, pretty much anywhere. You can find podcasts. You can find our podcast. You can also go to our website, energyislovepodcast.com, and listen directly at the website. We've made it as easy as possible. So there's not really an excuse. There's also no excuse why you haven't shared the podcast. So go do that right now. Push pause, send somebody a text, say, listen to this, and then come back and finish this episode. But much love, everybody. Thank you for tuning in and being fans of the podcast. I really appreciate it. On today's episode, I got a chat with Daniel Sundahl. So you might not recognize that man's name. However, I know for certain you recognize his work. Undoubtedly, at some point, you've come across a piece of his art. I've been a big fan of his work for a long time. Um, first off, Daniel is like 15-year veteran, and uh, he's a paramedic firefighter up in Canada. He lives up in Edmonton. And he tells his story during this episode, so I won't go into it in too much detail. But go check out his work. And like I said, you will have undoubtedly seen it. What he does is he captures moments in the emergency services field, like uh, first responders, paramedics, firefighters, police officers, nurses, doctors, dispatchers. He captures these moments in time and they carry such weight and emotion and just just a massive amount of energy behind this single piece of art. And it's amazing. It's incredible. Back when I was a police officer, uh, I came across his work and it meant a lot to me at the time. I know that he his mission is kind of through his art, reaching more people, connecting with more people and bringing awareness to mental health and some of the issues that first responders deal with. Uh, I was very excited to get to speak with this guy. Go to his website, dansungallery.com. That's D-A-N-S-U-N gallery.com. You can check out his work there. He's also on Facebook, Instagram, like everybody else. You know, you can find him on social media. He's got another website too, dansunphotos.com, where you can follow. And like I said, just go just go look, go see, go check out some of his work. We're going to post up a bunch of his work on our Facebook page so that everybody gets a chance to kind of grab a piece of what this guy's creating. But for now, sit back and relax and enjoy this episode with Daniel Sundahl. Artist, paramedic, firefighter, just an amazing guy doing really, really, really good stuff all over the world. So here we go. You're listening to the Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is the love podcast. The Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is Love podcast. The podcast for the universe. The Energy is Love podcast. There we go. That's it, man. We are up and going. So, Daniel, I should have asked you as well. How do you pronounce your last name? It's Sundahl. Sundahl. Yeah. And you are in Edmonton, is that right? That's right. Well, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to uh, be on the podcast. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I've been a huge fan of your work for a really long time. Oh, cool. And then uh, I don't even know how I came across 
um, you know how it goes when you're online and you're just looking through stuff or whatever. And I came across your website and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, I really want to talk to this guy. And I know that we've been in communication for the last little while, but I was glad we were able to finally make it happen. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds good. So first off, I want to give everybody an idea if they've never heard of you or if they've never seen your work, um, what's the easiest way that you kind of describe it or what it is that you do? Uh, God, it's hard to describe what I do. I guess it's the easiest way would be to describe it as uh, emergency services artwork. Uh, I think would be the easiest way to say it. Uh, I'm a paramedic firefighter myself, and I create uh, these images based on actual calls that I've that I've been on. And it's kind of my it's it's my therapy really, and that's how I process some of the calls that I've done. I've been doing it for a really long time, so they're all very. Most of them are very personal to me, and they're based on real experiences that I have that I've had. So it's a mixture. Uh, it starts off as a photograph. So I take, I stage the scene. I never take photos of actual uh, calls that I've been on, but I'll stage the scene, how I remember the call. I'll photograph it, and then I digitally paint and draw on top of that photograph. Uh, and when I do that process, uh, I'm trying to recreate how I felt more than what I saw during that call. Um, it was really never my intention to share them with anybody because it, because it was a, a personal, uh, kind of a therapeutic process for me and of how I kind of purge these calls. But, uh, I never anticipated that so many other first responders would attach their own experiences to, um, to my images. So when I started to share the images, they really connected with so many others and it really kind of exploded and, grew into this thing it is today. <laughs> so like you said, in the beginning, it was more or less just your own processing in a way to kind of cope and manage with some of the things that you uh, went through and experienced. Yeah, that's right. And it doesn't seem logical that that would be a, a way to do it because it takes a long time. It takes about a week to do each image. And as I'm doing it, I am essentially reliving that call and it doesn't seem like that would, that would help, but it does. Um, you know, I think for most of us that are first responders, the memories we have of these calls are, they're almost like an organic being inside your brain and your memory. Uh, and it's very fluid, right? It's very, you know, comes into your mind when you don't want it to most of the time when you're sleeping and you really can't defend yourself. Um, and then and appears in different ways. And it's really disturbing for most of us, I think. But when I, it's almost like I capture that memory and I put it on this one dimensional image. So now when I think of that specific call, I don't, I don't, I no longer have this organic living memory in my brain. Now it's this one dimensional picture that I've created. Um, so I think the week it takes me to create the image, I'm purging that call in, I'm trapping it in this one dimensional image. Uh, and now that's how I remember those calls is how I recreated them versus how I, um, re used to remember them. And I've learned that I can manipulate it now as well. So, you know, there was a, 
like an example, there's a picture that I did. It's an image of a firefighter sitting on the back of a bumper, and there's this little girl, which she's an angel, and she's holding this little teddy bear. And that call was based on a, a motor vehicle collision that, that we went to, and the whole family was killed in this minivan. Um, and this little girl was in this car seat. And in the ditch was this teddy bear that had blood on it, and I assumed that she was holding this little teddy bear at the time, and the car seat was crushed. And it was a really disturbing memory for me. And, uh, you know, we see a lot of trauma and a lot of car accidents. And, uh, you know, it wasn't so much that. But what bothered me about that call was this little girl was just sitting in her car with her family playing with her bear. And then all of a sudden her whole family's wiped out. And that's what kind of disturbed me is that this poor little girl's entire family's wiped out. She had no idea. And she's holding this little bear. So the image shows the paramedic firefighter, essentially me in the back holding this bloody teddy bear. But right beside me is this little angel girl who is holding her teddy bear as well. So now I no longer think of that call. My memory of that call isn't of this crushed little girl in a car seat. It's of this little girl as an angel now still holding her teddy bear. So it's no longer, uh, well, it's, I don't want to say it's not a negative memory, but it's I've manipulated my memory through my artwork and now when I think of that call, I think of that image, uh, which is a lot nicer for me to think of that little girl in a better place. And she still has her, her little teddy bear with her. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've learned that I can manipulate my memories that way um, so that I remember these calls in a different way. And that's been hugely helpful for me and apparently for other people as well. Do you find that it's like in that, you know, in the process of the time that it takes to create each image and go through each shot? um because I'm thinking about it, you know, and I'm like, I, I understand how it's the kind of a therapeutic healing process for you during that time period. But is there also like chunks when you're in the middle of trying to, you know, set up the shot or you're working on it afterwards and adding everything to it that it's incredible. Like, I can't even imagine how difficult it would be to kind of go back into that space and relive it. And I like I completely appreciate what you're saying, how you can kind of manipulate it in a sense and heal some of that trauma but at the same time like how hard is it to go back because there's some things that you just don't want to you know bring forth back up into your memory and relive in a sense yeah i know and that's why it doesn't seem like it would help uh, and it is difficult but i don't think it's very helpful to suppress those memories either and i think that's why it is therapeutic for me is because i i face it i you know i put it head on and, and a lot of times um you know i don't put myself in the images i always you know, ask my coworkers or when I travel other paramedics and firefighters to, to be in those images. And it, yeah, it's a very emotional experience for all of us. Uh, most of the time, if I get someone else to, uh, help me stage it, I get them, I try to put them in that space. So I get them to remember a call. Uh, it is very emotional. So it's emotional when we set it up. Uh, it's, emo it's emotional when I photograph it and it's emotional when I create it over the week. And I think that emotion really comes out in the end product. Um, and a lot of times people tell me that there's so much emotion in my artwork um, and there's a lot of feeling in it. And I think that's why, because there is a lot of emotion involved in, in creating the images. A lot of times more emotion than the actual call. And when the actual call happens, you know, the training takes over and we don't really, you know, we can't be that emotional when we're doing the call. Otherwise we wouldn't be able to, to do it. Yeah. You know, the, emo the emotion comes afterwards. 
And I think that's why it's maybe therapeutic for me because I'm, I kind of force myself to, to really face, face those emotions and deal with them. All right. So it's, uh, yeah, it is very emotional to do. That makes total sense. Um, do you have like a background in photography or anything like that? Or did, was it more or less just kind of a hobby that you were able to turn into this? <laughs> yeah, it was just, thing? it was just a hobby. I, I kind of did the same style with, you know, landscaping, uh, you know, landscapes and pictures of my dog, you know, stuff that no one really cared about that, that I thought looked pretty cool. Um, and then I decided one day to kind of add that or apply it to my, uh, my career. And that's when things kind of took off. You said you, you've got like 15 years in, uh, as a paramedic firefighter, right? That's right. What did you do before that? Uh, before that I was an English teacher. I traveled around the world teaching English. Um, I was, uh, a dive master, uh, in the Cayman Islands. Um, was a bartender for a long time and a food and beverage manager. Um, so I've always kind of dealt with people and, um, never really had a, had a desk job, so to speak. Did you always have a passion in a sense that you like, was this something that you always wanted to do or did you kind of fall into it? Yeah, no, I never, I never really thought I wanted to do it. Um, what happened was that when I was working in the Cayman Islands as a dive master, part of our training was to become dive medics. So we learned how to, you know, rescue stranded and panicking divers and bring them to shore and do CPR and, um, you know, basic first aid. And I thought that was really cool. I found it really interesting. And, you know, during that training, I was going home and I saw this guy walk across the street and get hit by this giant dump truck. And, uh, and I was so excited. Like I parked my car, I jumped out thinking, <laughs> Oh yeah, I did. I'm learning how to do this first aid stuff. I can, I'm going to save this guy. So I jumped up to him. He was folded in half. His feet were by his face and I had no idea what to do. He's gurgling. And I'm like, uh, they didn't, I, I didn't know what to do. The paramedics came, unfolded him, put him in the ambulance and took off. But I was just so excited about it. It was weird. So I told my brother about it and he was, Dan, you should become a paramedic. If you're get that excited when you see something like that, where most people are horrified and, and you just want to run up there. And that's, that's what paramedics do. And that's where I kind of got the idea. Uh, to do that. I didn't actually become a paramedic until quite a time, many years later, but, uh, that's when the first idea came into my head that maybe that's something I could do. Yeah. I'll give you a little bit of, um, kind of a little bit of background about myself, um, just in the context so that we, you know, yeah, <laughs> you understand where I'm coming from. And sure. I used to be a police officer. I was in law enforcement for about eight years. And, um, when I look at your images, cause I've seen, I mean, I saw them back in the day when I was a cop, uh, and like you said earlier, they, they carry so much emotion behind it because not every shot that you take or every situation I can, you know, necessarily relate to in a sense that I experienced that exact same thing, but just the overall feeling that is associated with your images and with your shots and things like that. And then, I mean, it immediately puts me back into those places and into that state and it's incredibly, um, like it's emotional for me. It's, it's touching, it's healing. It's, it's, it, it was really neat to see kind of the different, I guess a different spin on it. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
one of the things I wanted to ask you was when you first started as a paramedic or started in the, you know, in, in this career, did you really have an understanding of what amount of trauma you were going to experience and then also what that was going to kind of do to you over time? Uh, no. <laughs> I think it's one of those things <laughs> that, uh, you know, I don't think people really realize it initially when they go into, no. you know, emergency services. And then I think that the public as a whole really doesn't grasp and understand just the level of trauma that, you know, people experience when they work in these type of jobs. Yeah, you know, I don't, I kind of assumed it would happen. Like that's, you kind of expect that when you go in. But, you know, I really wasn't prepared for, to see the things that I've seen and continue to see. But, you know, I don't know if I could go back and talk to myself 15 years ago and tell myself the things that I've seen now, I think I would still do it. Right. I don't think that, I don't think I'm at the point where God, if I could tell myself not to do it, I wouldn't do it. Um, cause despite my artwork, a lot of it's dark cause I'm trying to, you know, I'm purging these negative emotions that I have, but there's also a lot of positive emotions I've done. I've done a lot of great calls. I've delivered lots of babies. I've, you know, I've saved people. And I've, cre I've created artwork like that as well, but no one cares about that stuff. No one <laughs> responds to that stuff. Yeah. Um, but I create that stuff as well. But the reason I create the other work is because it's my therapy. So I have, you know, I kind of have to do that. Uh, but yeah, I don't, um, like I still, I still love the work. It's still very rewarding. I still have fun, uh, at work. Yeah. There's many, many challenges, but, uh, I think I'd miss it if I, if I was to quit. Um, and you know, and you mentioned earlier, you know, you're a police officer and you, and you've looked at some of the images and you've really related to them. Um, you know, I'm not a police officer myself, but I work very closely with, with the police officers where I, where I live. And, uh, you know, I've talked to them and if you interviewed them, and that's when I've created some of those images. Uh, you know, I'm always, I'm always worried when I, when I create this artwork that it's going to have a negative effect on people, like it's going to trigger people or it's going to, you know, put them over the edge. So I'm always worried about that. Uh, and I'm always cautious about that. Um, but I still get many emails of, and I'm a bit surprised, I guess, how people say that it helps them. I'm not hundred percent sure why it helps them. I, I think it's because they, I think the big part is when they realize that they're not alone in the way they're feeling. I think when, you know, you see a bad call or you're experiencing emotions as a result of, you know, emergency work. You think you're the only person that's feeling that way. Um, so you're, you know, you're shamed, you're, you know, you're feeling weak. Um, that's, that's how I felt. Yeah. And then, and then when you see that, you know, this guy's creating this artwork based on how you feel and you felt that no one else is feeling that way. And you see all the comments and other people that are, feeling the same way, uh, it makes you feel like you're not alone. And that's a giant thing, I think, that to make you feel better. Um, so that's why I continue to do it, because I, I get many, many messages from people saying how helpful it is uh, to their own mental health, knowing that they're not alone in the way that they feel. Yeah, I would totally but, agree. But I am worried that, uh, you know, the next image I'm going to create is going to make someone snap, and that's going to be it for them. Yeah, trigger them in some way, huh? Yeah. Yeah. 
you also have, um, if I'm not mistaken, you have like, uh, like you've traveled all over the world and you've worked with, um, agencies and people, um, in different countries and all over the place. Mm -hmm. Right. That's right. Um, is it like, was that surprising to you to see as well, how, uh, common things are as far as the way that people resonate and connect and kind of cope and deal with some of the, uh, traumas and the uh, stresses associated with the job? Yeah, you know, I'm surprised, but I, I probably shouldn't be, uh, and that's probably one of the most fantastic things that have happened through my artwork is that I get to travel a lot and meet other emergency workers from all over the world. And I love doing that because I want to hear what their experiences are like, what their protocols are like. I want to see what equipment they use. Um, and yeah, sometimes it's different, but overwhelmingly it's similar. Um, you know, paramedic in Poland has the same issues and complaints as a paramedic in London, England. Uh, as a paramedic is in Canada, as a paramedic is in the States. We all experience the same, well, similar calls. People get sick the same way all over the world. Um, and I think it's, you know, we are this giant community. We're all very similar, but we have our differences. But we all, you know, I'm also a firefighter. And, you know, 200 years of firefighting, we've built this brotherhood of firefighting, which is a very strong tradition you know, I can go to any firehouse in the world and tell them I'm a firefighter and they'll take me in like I'm their brother um, because they've built that over 200 years, the brotherhood of firefighting. Yeah. But the reality is we have the same in EMS, but we just don't know it because um, we are we experience the same things. We have the same uh, similar calls, similar issues, similar problems. Um, so another thing I'm trying to build through my our work is this is to foster this community of EMS workers because um, we are so similar. And sometimes I see that when I, when I post something online and I always do a little kind of a, I do a little writing or narrative about the picture. It's great to see the comments on it and paramedics from all over the world will help and support each other. Um, they'll respond to each other like a paramedic in Russia will be talking to you know, paramedic in Brazil and they'll be communicating about the emotions they've had based on that picture. Um, it's great. You know, it's a wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful thing that, um, that it's connecting paramedics from all over the world. I love it. It's like what you said though. I mean, it's, it's giving everybody that opportunity to realize that they aren't alone, that the things that they, you know, not just the realities of what they're experiencing day in and day out, but also the emotions connected behind it that, you know, they're so common. And I think that, I mean, that's like across the board that the fact is humans in general, <laughs> we're just so similar, but yet we isolate ourselves in thinking that we're not just unique, but that we, you know, are kind of suffering alone in our pain and, Nobody understands what I'm going through. And, and the reality is that, yeah, we do actually understand because we're going through mm -hmm. the same thing. And, um, like the difference between a paramedic, a firefighter and a police officer, they all have different jobs and they're all doing different things, but there's plenty of times where they all come together in moments yes. and have to experience and move through whatever that circumstance or that situation may be. And I think that granted everybody kind of processes things their own way, mm -hmm. but some of the over, um, kind of the overwhelming themes are there and the way that it affects us just as people in general, I think are the same and very, very common throughout. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that's, 
whether you're a police officer or paramedic or a firefighter or a nurse or an ER doctor, you know, we're all still just normal people too, right? People think that while you're a police officer, you should be expected to deal with those situations and handle them mentally, you know, because you were trained for that. And yeah, sure. You know, we've all been trained for, to respond in emergency situations, but we're also normal human beings as well, right? It does affect us the same as it would affect, you know, normal people. Uh, so I think there's this, this, I don't know if I want to say stigma, but the stigma that, you know, we're these strong, infallible people that can handle anything that, that can come our way. And I think the people should believe that because if they're going to call a police officer, they want to know that that guy's going to come and do his job and protect him. And the same thing for as a paramedic or a firefighter, they want to know that, you know, when they call, we're going to go and help. Uh, and I think the majority of the time, that's what we do and we're good at it. But, uh, I don't know if people realize the, you know, the mental effect it has on us after, um, and I think that's why I was also really scared to to share my images at first. The first ones that I did, I didn't share for a long time. Uh, I was worried about what other paramedics and other firefighters and the public were going to think of me showing a paramedic in the back of an ambulance after a failed resuscitation, and he's upset. He's got his gloved hands on his head, and God, no one does that. So I thought when I shared that, people were just going to rip into me for showing a weak side of our profession, but once I did decide to share it. And the only reason I decided to share it because I just thought it was a cool looking picture. I never intended on letting anyone see it, but it just was a cool looking picture. It looked like a cartoon. I just thought graphically it looked pretty, pretty cool. Um, so when I did decide to share it, that's when things, uh, really kind of exploded and so many other people connected. It was exact opposite of what I thought was going to happen, yeah. which was wonderful. You know, I'm curious, um, cause you're up there in Canada. Uh, you talked about how, you know, granted people in emergency services have training to deal with the type of situations that they're faced with each day. Um, but from my own personal experience and, you know, what I saw and uh, the training that I went through and, the you know, the people that I associated with in the different agencies and things like that, uh, there wasn't much training on how to deal with the effects of what you would experience mm -hmm. and go through. And so I'm curious as if it's, you know, maybe it's different, uh, experience for you or that you've had some other connections with other people. But I think that from, from what I can see and from what I gather, and, you know, like I said, my own personal experience, yes, they train people to handle the situation at hand and what they have to do and how to do it safely and how to, you know, help people and everything like that. But then there's nothing to really follow up after the fact with this is, you know, this is what you have to do in the moment, but then you're going to have all these ramifications because of it. And this is how you can manage, cope, um, you know, process all those type of things that, that side of it, I think is really, really lacking. So yeah. I wanted to get your take on that. Yeah. You know, it's a lot better than it was. You know, when I first started, it was, you know, probably literally a five minute thing of, you know, this is what PTSD is and this is what can happen. That was it. I think now it's a lot better. There's some courses that are out there, um, like all based on resiliency and recovery. And, um, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot more people, a lot more aware of it. Um, so I think it is getting better. Uh, but you're right. It's severely lacking. 
Um, do you know who Paul Combs is? Paul Combs? Yeah. No. He's, uh, he's a lieutenant firefighter and he's an artist as well. And he does these uh, caricatures and he, he talks about a lot of the similar things that I do. Um, but he does them in kind of these cartoons. It's really good. You should look him up. He'd be a great guy to have on your show too. But he recently did a picture of these firefighters, uh, holding, you know, in the old days, they used to have those big kind of, there were trampolines, but those big things that people would jump out and they would catch them. Uh-huh. Like those big round things. <laughs> yeah. So it was a cartoon of that. Uh, and all these firefighters are around, but it wasn't the, the thing was a hole. It was like a donut. And around the outside, it said, you know, support and suicide prevention and you no know, PTSD support. And it was all the things that we try to do. But there's this giant hole in the middle and this guy jumped and he's the paramedic is like lying on the floor, which is a great illustration of, you know, we're not doing enough. You know, we think we're doing enough um, and it is better. Um, you know, and we say that we, you know, we're supportive. We say that, um, you know, we want to do all these things. And but the reality is that sometimes it's not that that way. Right. It's I think that a lot's being done. In, you know, when something happens, when, you know, when shit hits the fan and, you know, you've had that bad call and now you're kind of messed up, there's a lot of support at that time. Um, but I think more needs to be done for, to prevent those things from happening. Um, you know, more peer support things to kind of recognize, you know, to have a guy on your team that can kind of recognize that somebody isn't acting normally like they usually do and, you know, be trained in the, you know, signs of, you know, mental health. And so they can see, Hey, you know, you're not, they can pull them aside and say, Hey man, you're not acting normally. Like what's, what's going on you know, ever since we did this call or, you know, a lot of times it's just not based on what call. It could just be a, an accumulation of stresses. It's like, Hey man, are you okay? You know, you've, we've noticed that you're not doing this stuff and kind of catch it that way before it, you know, before it's too late, before something happens or. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a, like an overwhelming problem when you think about it, because there's so many different aspects to it Mm -hmm. where like you said, you know, a lot of times if there's a big incident or something, um, you know, then they do a really good job in the immediate of helping and providing services and being there for support. But I think that a lot of times too, the idea that it's only those instances that really affect people. But I think the reality is it's, it's, you know, it, it is the day in and day out stuff where because you see it so much, you become numb to it, but yet it's the compounding effect of just regular everyday situations and calls that you would go on. But yet mm-hmm. somehow they still carry a massive amount of trauma, even though they're not like the, you know, the, this, the, the rarity where it's a, a major incident or a really tragic thing or something like that it's that overwhelming amount that you deal with, but yet aren't dealing with. And so it's like, how do you change the conversation or the mindset, not just of people in those fields, but also, you know, society and the public and the way that it's viewed. And I mean, it's just, I know like when it comes to law enforcement, um, you know, they definitely have the added, I don't want to say stigma, but like the challenge of you're not supposed to let any of that affect you. You're not supposed mm-hmm. to, um, do you know what I mean? You have to obviously be kind of, I guess. Stoic. No. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. supposed to be stoic. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I mean, it's so asinine because it doesn't matter who you are. 
Yeah. Some of the stuff is, you know, there's no way that you can walk away from certain, certain circumstances and not be affected. Yeah. You know, another thing it's, you know, it's not a lot of people think it's just, you know, you get that one call and that's, what's going to put you over the edge. In a lot of cases, that's what it is. But, uh, you know, I get, you know, I do lots of traveling. I talk to lots of paramedics, lots of firefighters, lots of police officers. And, um, you know, one thing that a lot of people aren't talking about, and I think a lot of, cause they're scared to talk about it is it's not only the, you know, the calls that they go on, but it's the political environment of their workspace as well. That adds a huge amount of stress. Um, that adds to, you know, you're in a, in a stressful work environment just from the politics of your office. And then in addition to that, you are now dealing with stressful calls as well. Um, so it's not always just the calls that you're responding to. It's, it's, I think it's a combination from my experience from talking to so many other first responders that it's a combination of, of like normal, workplace stresses that most people experience. But on top of that, they're dealing with, um, you know, very stressful situations. So it's all, you know, I, if you're in that, you know what, I wish, I wish workplaces, you know, emergency workplaces ran like, um, you know, like Apple or maybe, maybe Apple's not a good example right now, but you know, these big giant companies where, I have a good friend that works at EA games and he, I visited him and it was like a college campus there. You know, he had a, he had a, he had a, um, like a masseuse in his office that his staff could just go to anytime. Yeah. Right. It was just a, it was a great, it was a very supportive work environment for them. Uh, and they produced like his workers produced like crazy, but you know, anytime you wanted to go get, take a break, you could take a break. You can go play basketball. There was like a, a big, soccer field they can go and relax and do whatever they want as long as they met their goals that is a very supportive work environment for them um and i kind of wish emergency services places were kind of like that um where it was a more supportive environment uh because we need that support we need to be in a supported environment because of the work that we do you know, if you're going to go do a crazy, crazy call, uh, you know, we want to be able to come back to work and be supported from our, from our, uh, our managers. Um, and I think through talk, you know, through talking through a lot of other people, um, you know, I don't want to, you know, my workplace where I work, you know, we have, we have a good peer support team. We have, you know, our chief is, uh, he used to be a paramedic and he's really passionate about supporting his staff. With, through mental health. So we got a lot of support systems that way, uh, which is great. Uh, but just through my travels and experiencing and talking to a lot of other people, it's, uh, and you know, in a lot of those cases, it's police officers. So I've talked to a lot of police officers, uh, where they're the, the politics in their, in their environment's really tough. Um, and I think that really adds to the mental stress that, you know, that, that leads to mental injury for a lot of people. Yeah, I would totally agree. I mean, and that's beautiful. Like, it would be wonderful if we could all, <laughs> you know, work in that type of environment where you could uh, be able to just take a day off or go get a massage or, or you know, mm -hmm. have that type of mentality because I think it would have massive effect on um, on the people doing the job and doing the work. Because I think you're right. I think yeah. it is 
it's more than just the uh, stresses of being out there and dealing with what you have to deal with. I mean, I'm sure it's like, cause there's office politics and all those kind of things in every, you know, every field and every type of line of work, but that added, that added thing where emergency services has to deal with life and death. And I think that just has this effect to bleed over into everything. And so even though it's kind of office politics at times and you're dealing with, you know, administration and all these kind of different stresses, that underlining, that underlying tone of like, this is the, the, the reality of what we are doing and what we have to do and deal with, I think just kind of seeps out and bleeds into every aspect. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So with your work and with, uh, you know, the pictures and the art that you do, have you ever had any, um, like any of the families, any of the people that have reached out to you or have you ever done like, you know, commissioned pieces for people that have lost loved ones or something like that? Uh, you know, I get asked that a lot. I get asked to do, to do, um, get commissioned to do custom work for people. I do a lot of portraits, so I do a lot of custom portraits. And and when I travel, that's what I do. Um, you know, if I go speak at a conference or exhibit my artwork, I always contact the local first responders to do powerful, um, portraits because I want to exhibit them and our profession in a positive way. So I always do these badass pictures of these first responders, um, on all these places that I go to. But often I get, you know, people will say, Hey, look, I had this call, you know, can you create something for me? But it really has to, I need to be able to connect to it. Um, you know, it's not the same if, you know, if I can't relate to it, I, I can't create that, that image. Uh, so unless I've done a similar call and I know what it feels like to be in that situation, um, I really can't come up with the idea or the concept of what that image is going to look like. Um, cause when people look at that, that image, they need to see it and really know instantly what's going on there and how that paramedic or how that emergency worker is feeling. And unless I know what that feeling is, I can't create that artwork. Um, you know, sometimes I've done that, you know, I've done some work with corrections officers. I've never been a corrections officer and with dispatchers, I've never been a dispatcher, but I'll sit down and interview them. The first dispatcher images that I did, and I really wanted to do some, some communications artwork because I got so many emails from, from them saying, Hey, look, Dan, can you rep, can you do something for us? And not, you know, at first I'm thinking, you guys just answer the phone. Like what? Like, <laughs> right. It's like, what are you, what are you guys talking about? You know, how do you guys, have mental stresses talking on the phone all day, like completely ignorant of what they actually went through. So when one of the trips I was on, I was in Houston and I had some time and I asked if I can go sit in in the communication center there and talk to some of the dispatchers. And I interviewed them for like three hours and it just blew my socks off. I couldn't believe the stories that they had and the experiences that, that they went through. Um, things that God, I couldn't imagine you know, hearing people get murdered on the phone and screaming for help while they're calling 911 and, uh, you know, just terrible things. So after this three hour period, you know, they're crying and I'm crying and I'm like, all right, let's get some photos done. Right. And those are the first set of dispatcher images that I, that I took. Um, and then when I did those images, those exploded almost more than the, you know, the paramedic and firefighter ones. Um, because so many other dispatchers really felt that they were recognized and that there is, um, they experienced those problems too. 
sometimes it's worse for them, which I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. in that, in that case, I can, right? In that case, if I, if I sit down and interview them and really get inside their heads and kind of feel how they were feeling, then I can create the artwork for them. Uh, but you know, a lot of times people will send me emails and say, look, I did this call. Can you create something? I'm like, no, I can't unless I, unless I sit down with you with a bottle of rum and we really talk about it and I really get inside your head, then sure I can, but, um, I can't just do it through an email or a story. That makes sense though. The, uh, whole dispatcher thing. My wife was a dispatcher for a long time and there's an image of yours where it's a, it's a dispatcher sitting there like with her head in her hands and she's surrounded by all of her mm -hmm. uh, screens and everything like that. Yeah. That's the, that's the dispatcher I interviewed in Houston. Really? Yeah. Like just that image alone carried so much because I mean, I don't think people realize too that like they, they literally have like four or five, six different computer screens that they're sitting in front mm -hmm. of. And, and I mean, it was like you said, they go through the same amount of trauma, even though they're just sitting there on the phone talking to people and dealing with the, the situations kind of in a removed sense, but yet still so involved with it. And I mean, it's hard for me to express and put into words what looking at your pictures really not just does to me, but what the, the gravity that they have behind them because, I mean, they just carry so much. And I'm sure you hear that all the time, especially when you go and talk to these type of, you know, first responders mm -hmm. and things like that because it is hard to articulate and put into words, but yet you, you're able to do it in just kind of a snapshot in such a way that speaks so much to what these people have to deal with and what they do deal with all the time. Yeah. You know, I think people, I know I don't think it's even so much my artwork. It's people have their own experiences and their own, you know, depending what profession they're in. And I think my artwork is just a trigger because um, people will respond to it differently. You know, when I speak at conferences, I'll put up a picture you know, and there'll be one guy and every time, and I say this when I start my, my sessions, when I speak, I say, look, one or two of you people are going to walk out of this session. Um, and that's okay. If you have to, you know, there's the door because people have, they each have their own experiences. So if I show that picture of that little girl that I mentioned earlier, and there's a paramedic there that, you know, had a call where this, you know, there were an accident, a little girl was still alive and she died in his arms and, you know, that's going to trigger that for him, for his experience, which is different than mine. So that image is going to affect him differently than other people that may have never had that call. So it's not even so much the images that I created. I think they're more of a trigger and it affects everyone differently based on the calls that they've done. And I never thought that would happen. I never anticipated that was going to happen. Uh, I think it's wonderful that it, that it does, but I think I get more credit than I deserve. Um, cause I think my images are just a catalyst for people getting in touch of their own feelings and emotions of the calls that they've done themselves, right? Which I have nothing to do with. Um, and a lot of times that people will tell me, uh, you know, I'll create an image and they'll tell me how it related to a call that they've done. And it makes no sense to me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, you can't I, see the correlation. <laughs> I can't see the correlation at all. I'm like, oh, okay, well that, that that's great that you know they feel that they connect to my artwork, and then therefore they feel that you know people understand, um, you know how they felt during that call. 
but some to me sometimes they're they're pretty stretched like they're like i i can't see that at all <laughs> but you know i don't i don't say that yeah but um and a lot of times i don't tell them my my motivation for them because i don't want to ruin that for them right if i tell them what this call was based on this and this is why i created it um i don't want to take away their interpretation of the image based on their own experiences and i feel if i tell them the story behind it then it might wreck it for them um so I try not to do that. Although when I do my sessions, when I talk about mental health for first responders, I'll do that. I'll talk about the motivation um, of some of the images that I've done, mostly because I'm just trying to share my own experiences as a peer, as a fellow first responder, um, and how you know the work has affected me um, and how it nearly killed me and ended my marriage, but more importantly on how what I've done to get better and how I've what I've done to heal myself and build resiliency is what I mostly talk about. Was that part of it? Like in the beginning when you started, you know, taking these photographs and doing this art, um, did you have that idea that you wanted to go out and speak about mental health and to share your experiences and, you know, travel or was like, how did that develop and evolve over time? Yeah, no, I never expected any of this to happen. I never thought I'd be traveling. I never, thought I'd be speaking on mental health. Like, what do I know about mental health? I'm not a therapist. I don't have any training on that. I, you know, I don't know anything about that. So no, I never thought that that would, that that would happen. Um, and I think it just, it started to evolve when the artwork started to become more popular. I started getting invited to conferences just to show, to exhibit my artwork. Uh, so the first couple that I did, it really blew my doors off. Like I couldn't, believe it you know they would you know they would fly me there and they'd give me a booth and i'd bring some artwork uh and all of a sudden these people that i'd never met don't know would come up to me and start crying and shake my hand and ask for my autograph and i'm like what is going on like what <laughs> what is happening uh and they would start to tell me how the work affected them again based on their own experiences and how good it made them feel because they didn't feel like they were alone because uh, this guy from Canada was creating, really getting inside their heads and creating images from their emotions that they felt. So it was, um, yeah, was, that was a bit of an overwhelming experience, and it still is sometimes for me uh, when that kind of stuff happens. Um, so that's kind of led into, you know, people started saying that I should maybe talk about my experiences because when I go to these conferences and, you know, talk to people at my little exhibit, they would ask me, you know, a lot of the same things you're asking me, you know, where did it start and, you know, how did you get started and why do you do it? Um, so when I started to explain that, they said, you know, you should really be speaking at this conference um, just as a peer, just as, you know, this is what happened to me. You know, I'm not a therapist, but as a fellow first responder, these are the signs and symptoms that I experienced um, that I didn't know were work-related. This is how how bad it was. I didn't even know. Um, but I'm lucky that I recognized it, got therapy, got help and got better. Um, so when I do talk about that stuff, it's just, you know, I'm not a mental health expert, but I'm a mental health expert for my own mental health and I can share my own experiences, uh, and the symptoms and signs that I was experiencing and, you know, what I did to get better. That's what I talk about. Uh, and no one's better or more, of an authority on my own mental health and myself. 
so that's uh that's what i talk about and it kind of evolved into that what are some of those because i think that's one thing that's important um like the signs and symptoms that you may be experiencing that you may not draw a correlation to or you may not realize that because of my line of work or because of what what i've gone through and experienced this is how it's manifesting now what are mm-hmm. some of those things that you not just personally experienced, but are some kind of common things that you've, you know, heard from people that this is how it shows up. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll tell you exactly what happened to me. Uh, and I have no, you know, I have no problems with that. I, I like to share my own experiences, hoping that another first responder will recognize the symptoms in themselves and hopefully get, you know, they'll urge them to get help or get assessed or evaluated or whatever. Uh, but yeah, things that happened to me, uh, Anger was a big one for me. I'd start to get really angry for, for no reason. Um, you know, I started to become less sociable. Like I wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't go out with friends. I, you know, there was a bunch of us that have motorbikes and we'd go out on rides all the time. And I stopped doing that. Uh, I really started to isolate myself. Um, you know, and, and when those kind of things happen, I never thought that, you know, depression was a big thing. I never thought that that was work related. So of course, when you start getting angry and you're depressed and you isolate yourself, that's going to affect your, your marriage and your home life as well, which it did. You know, and eventually that goes down the line of, you know, that gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse over time. And it is with like mental health. I've done a lot of research and a lot of studying on it. Um, it does actually change the chemistry of your brain to the point where you're, you lack the ability to recognize the hole that you're in. Uh, and then you start to think that suicide is a, is a viable option. You don't, you lack the capacity to realize that that is not a good idea. You think that's a good idea. Um, because you feel that's the only way out of, you know, escaping this constant barragement of negative emotions that you're feeling. But it is a chemical imbalance and there is treatment and there is ways you can get better. But yeah, so for me, anger was a big one. Um, isolation, um, depression, anxiety, uh, all these things started to creep up over time. It wasn't a specific call that I did. It was just an accumulation of, um, of things that started to happen. Um, you know, a lot of people, it's, you know, they get into drugs or drinking or, you know, overeating, uh, to just try to, drown those feelings that they're that they're having but there it was work-related it was all work-related um symptoms that i didn't know that were work-related and if you can recognize them as being work-related then you can get help and get treatment and get better is it pretty common as well uh when you do share those stories and you know share those share those experiences with other people that because i think that those are common right and ways Mm -hmm. that it kind of shows up and manifests and every like you said everybody's a little different sometimes people you know, cope and manage with alcohol or drugs or whatever the case may be. But how challenging was it for you to kind of not just recognize those things, but then take the next step and and get help and find find some clarity in that space? You know, I, I didn't even, I didn't find the clarity myself. I didn't know myself. What happened is we went to, my platoon went to, um, it was a mandated attendance to hear a psychologist talk on mental health and this psychologist was doing it for the whole city and he was talking about ptsd and and mental stress and 
So we went there as a platoon and he started listing off all these signs and symptoms and I checked off every single one, right? At that point, that's when I realized, um, Hey, maybe, maybe this is work related. Uh, and also at that same time in Canada, I think there was 13 firefighters that had committed suicide in, in the last year or a lot. No, I think it was 13 firefighters in 12 weeks across Canada had committed suicide. Yeah, it was crazy. And, you know, then we went and did this. I heard this psychologist talk, uh, and I recognized a lot of the things that he was saying, um, were, were big. Like they, I checked off all of them and I'm thinking, holy smokes, you know, another big thing is sleep disorders. And for me, that was a huge thing. I normally slept four to five hours a night. Um, I couldn't sleep more than that nightmares and it was terrible. Uh, but I just thought I was, you know, having a bad day or, but, um, you know, after I heard this guy talk and I recognized a lot of the symptoms that he was talking about, then I booked an appointment with a psychologist and got assessed. Um, that's how, how things got turned around for me. And I think otherwise I never would have considered them being, um, no work related injuries or mental health, occupational stress injuries from work. I never really considered it to be that, but you know, I got the treatment that I needed and I'm better. Um, you know, I don't think it ever goes away, but you know, I'm more aware of it now. Uh, I do a lot of things to build resiliency and against those types of things. And now I'm more aware. The scary thing is when you don't recognize it and you don't think, um, it is an injury that could be treated and healed. Yeah. Were you doing your uh, art at the same time or did that come kind of in conjunction with that recognition and getting some help? Yeah, it was, that was, it came after that. So, you know, that was the first thing that happened. I heard the psychologist talk, I got assessed and that's when I kind of started getting inside my own brain and thinking, yeah, this is a problem for me. Um, and that's when I thought, you know, I'm going to create artwork based on these calls that I've done not with the intention of sharing that with anybody. Um, I just thought that would be a good way to, and that's what the psychologist said. He says, Dan, you got to do some other things like, you know, try some artwork or, you know, take up the cello or, you know, do something different, you know, do some exercise, take up yoga, do something other, something other to, you know, get a hobby or something. I says, well, I like doing photography. So that's when I kind of made the decision to do, to do that. And, you know, it just turned out that it was very cathartic for me to, to recreate these calls that I've been on, uh, through our work. And it's really helped me a lot. And that's because that's when it started at about that same time. Um, and that's when it all took off. Have you ever had a, um, have you ever had a call or a situation that you were unable to recreate like you wanted to and you had the intention, but it was, you know, too difficult or, um, basically like, you know, you couldn't necessarily go back to that space long enough and be in there long enough in order to create something out of it. Have you ever had something like that? Yeah, I have a couple, like the pediatrics are pretty tough. Yeah. Uh, so there's a couple of the pediatric calls that I, that I want to process and create artwork for, but I just, I'm not ready for that yet. Um, and then I also want to do one on deliveries. Like it's not always a negative thing. You know, I've delivered on, I think 10 babies now. And it's great. And I want to do some artwork for that, but, um, I'm not quite sure how I'm going <laughs> to, how I'm going to visualize that one. I'm not sure. Cause it's, uh, it's not, uh, it's a 
sure it's the miracle of, of life, but it's a pretty, uh, pretty messy procedure. Yeah. That's a hard so one to recreate. <laughs> that's a hard one. So I'm not sure how I'm going to, uh, what's the best way to create that feeling. I'm still working on that one too, but it will, it will happen eventually. What is, uh, like, where do you see, like you said, this isn't necessarily what you thought it was going to be in the beginning when you started doing it. It's just as a way to kind of process and cope through some of these experiences. And now this is where you're at today. Like what else do you want to do with it? What else do you want to kind of expand and um, like what you're over, not overreaching, but the, the, the big picture that you want to kind of continue towards with your work and with speaking to people and everything like that, like your ideal situation, where would you be and what would you do with it? Well, you know, I'd love to, um, you know, it's great that my, that my artwork has, has, you know, gained so much attention, uh, you know, and I have lots and lots of followers on my social media. So I feel there's a responsibility that I have. Uh, so I'm using that to raise awareness for mental health. And I love, that's a passion for me, um, to raise awareness, uh, decrease the stigma of mental health, um, and let my fellow first responders know that, you know, you're not alone in the way you're feeling. You know, if these are the symptoms that you're feeling, go get assessed and hope that that's going to make a difference. Uh, I've recently started having exhibits and galleries in my artwork. Uh, and when I show the images, I also include the narratives that I wrote when I created the images. Um, so the first one that I did was, uh, it was great. It was, you know, guys would come in there, uh, and they would just walk around and stay there for three hours looking at the images. Like it was a real powerful, um, experience for them. You know, I got a lot of message. I had I received a few messages from, you know, spouses and wives and husbands, uh, that went through the gallery with them and they just expressed to me the change, the positive change it made in them. So I would love to, you know, exhibit my artwork, uh, in more galleries, um, so that, you know, the, that people can go through so I can raise awareness for mental health for first responders, uh, both for fellow first responders, but the general public that walks through that really have no idea yeah. of some of the mental stresses that we go through. So it would be great if I can do that. I, I think I may be exhibiting um, some work in Virginia Beach. I'm just kind of talking with someone right now about that, but I would love to be able to to travel with my artwork and uh, and exhibit my work with the hopes of decreasing the stigma of mental health and raising awareness for mental health for first responders. I would love to do that. Well, I think you are, man. I think that you're well on the way to, you know, doing that. And I think it's amazing. Like <laughs> it's, I'm kind of like, uh, like this was really excited for me to get to talk to you because I'm such a fan of your work and I think it's such a, a good thing that you're doing. And I wanted oh, to bring you. more and more people to it so that they had the opportunity to do what you're just saying. Like just bring awareness to the fact that this is what first responders have to deal with. This is a beautiful way to, um, put it out there so that it can reach the masses so that people can kind of connect with it. And I think it does go back to what you said, where your, your art and your images carry so much emotion behind it, mm -hmm. where it's one thing to see a snapshot or 
something, you know, or to hear somebody talk about it, but to really visually see it and connect with it. I think that's where, I think that's where change can happen, where people can have those moments and really start to do what you're just saying, you know, think about mental health in a different way and also get rid of that stigma attached to it. That's yeah, like, that was one of the biggest overwhelming things that I walked away from, uh, after I, you know, my career ended and everything like that. It was like mental health is something that I think everybody faces and deals with in one way, shape or form or another. And there's so, (laughs) there's so little being done across Mm -hmm. the board, not just with first responders, but just society as a whole. And it's like this huge problem that we all deal with and cope with and manage in our own little unique ways. But yet as a whole, we don't have a fix for it. We don't have anything that is really working, I think, on a big grand scale to help people. But there could be, you know, there could be a way to make it better. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, the stigma is, you know, you, you know, as an officer, if, if you get shot in the leg, you know, you're a hero. Um, but you know, if you, if, if you retire because of a mental illness, it's a negative stigma, right? It's, it's the same thing. It's a work related injury. Um, yet if it's a physical injury, you know, it just seems to be way more socially acceptable than a mental injury. And yeah. the truth of the matter is the mental injuries statistically are killing so many first responders. It's scary. Um, and the sad thing is that there is, there is a better way. And I think the trend is getting better, but like you said, it's, there's a long ways to go, uh, toward that, uh, to make it better. Cool. Um, it makes me happy that you're out there doing your part. <laughs> I think that's really, yeah, really it's, cool, man. It's very, uh, it's very rewarding for me. Um, and you know, it keeps me motivated to keep doing it. And I still have a lot of calls and a lot of images I need to create. Um, but you know, when I get an email from people saying that my artwork saved their life, it's, uh, it's, you know, I, I'm at the point now where my artwork is more rewarding for me than even working on the ambulance because I feel it's doing more good. Uh, I'm reaching more people and helping more people through my artwork than I'm working on the ambulance or on the fire truck. Yeah. Which is huge for me. Again, I never thought that was going to happen and it's been wonderful. Well, what's the best way for people to find your stuff and to uh, follow you and everything like that? Uh, yeah, well, I'm on, uh, I have a couple of websites. It's dansonphotos.com. It's a like D-A-N-S-U-N photos.com and then dansongallery.com. And then if you just search for dance on on google you'll see my facebook page come up uh, and that's kind of where i do most of my um uh, most of sharing of my images through social media on my instagram so dance on on instagram and twitter and facebook uh, that's when i'll post you know a new image and do the narrative uh, and when i do things like that on, on my social media specifically on facebook it's like rolling a snowball down the hill you know i'll post the image and then all the comments start coming uh, and it's like reading a book of how people respond and connect uh, and sometimes disagree uh, on it. So it's really interesting to to read the comments when I post something on Facebook. It's uh, it's quite an eye opener for me. But, yeah, it's pretty easy to find me. Just search for Dan Sun on Facebook and and I'll pop up all over or on Dan Sun on, on Google or something. Um, see, I'm pretty easy to find. Yeah. Well, good deal. Um, thank you so much. Like, I loved getting the chance to talk with you. I wish you the best of luck. Not that it doesn't sound like you need luck. It sounds like you're doing a great job and kicking ass. And um, like I said, it's just so it's, it's been really nice being able to chat with you, man. Yeah. You too, Craig. Thanks. I really appreciate you reaching out.
and everybody go out and have a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful day. Paramedic in Russia will be talking to, you know, paramedic in Brazil and they'll be communicating about the emotions they've had based on that picture. But you're not alone in the way you're feeling. You know, if these are the symptoms that you're feeling, go get assessed and hope that that's going to make a difference. Uh, it is very emotional. So it's emotional when we set it up. Uh, it's, emo it's emotional when I photograph it and it's emotional when I create it over the week. And I think that emotion really comes out in the end product.